So uh, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about orange, the color orange and oranges in the Bible. It's going to be a great series. No one's even going to challenge me on that. <laughs> I don't even know if an orange is mentioned in the Bible, right? Uh, but we're going to talk about, um, and it, it kind of goes along with the new year, what we're doing moving forward and how we can all be engaged in it. But ultimately, um, orange is our, our uh, kids and youth strategy that we use at Journey. It's not a curriculum, though a curriculum is part of it. It's a strategy. And one of the big things about it, why we get the color orange, is we say yellow, the light of the church, the church being yellow, and the family, whatever the family looks like for you, um, red, the heart of how God wants to, to impact our kids and youth, that, that yellow and that red coming together making the color orange. So we believe that the, one of the best ways to influence our uh, kids and youth, and even further on for that matter, the way we're making a thrust towards young families and their kids and parents, helping you as parents and us as a community, our kids. The church is not a drop-off place. Too often the church has become that. And we even contend to go that way sometimes. We want to get away from that. We aren't a drop-off. I've even seen, I remember being a youth pastor some of my first times, I'd have all the kids sign in. Um, and there was reasons why I wanted to send you a little postcard and a greeting. And then I started having the way our, our in, in Jacksonville, the way the youth room was set up upstairs, kids could get dropped off and go up the stairs into the youth room, never go into the church. And so what, what the parents would do is they'd pull up, drop off their kids because they weren't going to church <laughs> on Wednesday night. And uh, they'd leave. And uh, their kids, there was a few of them that would wait till their parents drove off and they'd take off. So I'd send them a postcard. Hey, missed you Wednesday night. And I don't put the postcard or it's a letter. It's not sealed. Their parents get the mail because kids get mail, right? And they go, hey, you know, Ronnie, can I talk to you for a minute? How was Wednesday night service? Oh, it's great. Ron was awesome. You know, all the... What says Ron sent a uh, little note says he missed you. They'd call me. And I'd say, yeah, your kid was not in the youth group that night, and that created a whole bunch of conflict for them. I kind of would giggle and chuckle, and I thought it was funny. But uh, <laughs> we're not a drop-off place for your kids. We're not. We partner with you because you have way more influence than we do. We have a little bit of time. You got a ton of time. So I hope... That as we go along, today we won't talk about it as much foundational. The next two weeks after that, a little more into the kids' ministry, but it's for everyone. So it's not just about the kids and youth. It's, it's for everybody. There's, there's principles for us all each week. But we're going to ask more of ourselves. We, we are already, we believed in it so much that when Jen and I heard from her, they made it to Mexico safe. They're invested there. They're, they're, uh, they're um, you know, getting involved there. But when we had Jen going out, we decided that it was time to hire somebody through the blessings of your giving and God's grace and mercy to hire somebody full-time to invest in kids and the parents. Our youth is next. What are we going to do with our youth? We got we to gotta invest even more there. So we hired Charles. They moved out from Texas. He's gotten right on it, and uh, it's, it's been awesome. Um, and we just anticipate it's going to get better and better and better and better. But the belief is that the light of the church and the heart of the family, the red and yellow, come together and make orange. And that's what our desire is, that we do a great job at that so that our kids can grow up and know a great God and follow him. And, wow, don't we need that today? Sheesh. Um, I... Uh, like many, have you, do you ever have uh, alignment problems in your car? That can come sometimes from uh, potholes, all right? There's a, Nick and Dana, one of our elders, um, I always think of a, they, I don't know, I don't remember what street they live on, but there's a side street off a of Lozier that I think the devil came down and made that road. 
there are potholes in that road. You know what I'm talking about, Nick. Think I'll go, I'll go, I gotta come from here. I gotta go to Nick's house. So I'm gonna go on this little shortcut. Don't do it. You can't even navigate it. Your car will, will it's a, they're, they're not potholes, they're sinkholes, okay? It's a nightmare. That could really mess up your alignment and damage your entire vehicle if you go that way. Don't go that way. I don't know what that road is. It doesn't matter. Just leave it alone. Uh, some of you are notorious for hitting curbs, right? There's one in Jacksonville, dentist office right there. I just run over, every time I take a ride, it seems like I just run over the whole curb, man, like everybody else. I just, they just need to trim it off, cut it a little bit. Uh, you know, and, and getting into an accident can really mess up our alignment in our car. When you don't keep up on the maintenance, and there's even spiritual principles to all this we won't go into deeply today, but you don't keep up on your life and maintenance, parts get loose, they start falling apart, coming apart. They give a little more, and they progressively and slightly get worse over time. That's one of the things about alignment. It can get worse over time. And when that happens, um, you, you get severe uh, wear and tear on your tires, right? And tires are super cheap, though, right? So <laughs> things, what happened, you know? Uh, very expensive, and uh, it costs a lot of money to put four tires on your rig, right? Um, and then your, your car doesn't handle real well. So when all of us are driving down the road and we just let go of the handle just for fun, right? Yeah, we shouldn't do that. But when you're on your cell phone doing your thing, and all, yeah, don't do that either. Okay, so, but you notice sometimes when, when you're out of alignment, the car's always pulling some way. And if it's really bad, and you just go, I can't afford to get it fixed, you're, it's like a fight the whole time to keep it on track. And eventually, you know, you got to do something about that. Um, it doesn't handle well. It becomes difficult to maintain and control damage, and you can get even a tire blot. It's very dangerous at some point, right? Um, your alignment, when it gets messed up, everything can kind of be messed up. The way you drive, the way your car handles, the whole thing. Um, we can get out of alignment sometimes. Um, many of us deal with that. Relationships, job, um, when you are not in a line with others at your job, in your family, whatever the case may be, it can apply in, in a full spectrum of experiences. But um, one of the things that happens is a lot of times it's gradual too. Over a period of time, you get out of sync, you get off course, um, and you get, even maybe though you're going the same direction, you're not together. And that's, that could be a dangerous place as well, especially down the road. Um, one of the things that happens at that time, it's why we have to promote what Brent said earlier, small groups. So one of the things that small groups can help with, not fixed completely, only by the grace and goodness of God sometimes can these things be adjusted over a period of time or with some like, you know, certain experience that's needed. But a lot of times a small group, friends, others, um, therapists, counselors, maybe a pastor, right? One of the things that we do is we encourage that stuff because they get us back on track. It's almost like realignment, taking yourself to the, the car place and getting it, getting it all fixed, balanced and realigned and so you can have, a, have you know, a, a time where you can go the right way. That's why those things are important. It can be over a period of time. They help us get back in sync with God. Uh, not too long ago, when I was doing, I'm getting back on it now, but I had I, uh, um, Thanksgiving to about January 2nd, and I trash my eating, and I don't work out as much, and I want to sleep all the time, and I, I just hole up like that, you know? So I'm back on it, and I'm sore. And last year, one of those times when that happened, I did something with the workout with the guys, and I pulled a muscle, and it got worse over a couple days. And it really hurt. Everything that I did, every time I got out of the truck, every time I was walking, it was hurting. And I went to the store, and I got out of the truck, and in the distance, probably from about here to the, the, the doors over there, a guy that I haven't seen for a long time, Claudio, saw me. And I got out of the truck, and... 
he saw me, he said, hey, Ron. And as I got closer, he didn't even say, it'd, been, it'd probably been a good year since I'd seen him. He didn't even say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? He saw me, and, and now he's probably about, you know, 20 feet away or so, and he goes, what'd you do to your back? And I'm like, that's, what? It was a greeting, but I, I, I did, I did. Was that like God told you that or something like that? You know, I said something like that to him. And he goes, no. He goes, you look like this. And that's how you're walking. And he said, I go, man, I did something and I can't, I can't like, I can't like straighten out. And he said, listen, go down to my office in Central Point. Go in there. Tell the secretary. Like, what? Go, go to my office. I got one of those things that you strap your feet into and then you flip around and hang upside down. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to go right now down and tell your secretary that I'm supposed to come in here and do this, whatever they call that, hang upside down thing. And it's really awkward and weird, you know. Like, and he goes, no, no, do it, man. And, he's, and I go, well, okay, whatever. You know, and I left. Um, and it, it stayed that way. And I got home that night. I looked in the mirror. And I'm like, I can't believe it. I literally had this curve, like, in me. And I couldn't straighten it out. You want to keep doing stuff? You think it's like somebody kicked me in the side or something like that. And I couldn't get it. It took about six uh, therapy sessions of, a, of one massage therapist making you like really relaxed, right? Oh, this is nice. Music's going. Candles are going. It's really nice. Can we just stay here forever? And that was only because she would soften me up so that the evil woman could... <laughs> could like hit me and shove me and do stuff. I'm like, this feels like it should be reversed, right? <laughs> and until I got back in alignment, nothing worked properly. I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I couldn't even walk properly. And you have pain and stuff that consumes you. When a church is out of alignment, and this is what we want to really work on this year, so this is a little bit of vision, like we talked a little bit about that in the, the generosity, you know, whole life generosity series. Some of this is vision for 2018 that we start the year off with. When the church, we as a church, specifically and corporately, the, the big church around the world, when we're out of alignment, some things come up that we can think about. You could probably add more. We lack community. Because we're pushing instead of partnering with one another. So when we are out of alignment with kind of where we're going and what we're doing, and we got some areas, we've got one of our, our biggie right now is the kids. When we're out of alignment, we're, we're pushing back. You know, instead of saying we're partnering together in God's gospel work and community. And there's that pushback that comes because silos start being created. Competition happens between ministries, and they fight for resources, money, time, places, spots, you know, and their idea of what things should be like. So there's not partnership, it's pushback. Well, I don't like that, so I want this. You should do this. The church is filled with that. We get that all the time. Churches around the globe get that. I don't care. Like, I'm in Jordan, you know, last August. And they're arguing about, like, likes and dislikes of music is usually a biggie. Space that different people want. And when we are out of alignment as a community of believers, then there's pushback, not partnership. And then there's these, this competition that's created. We fight for things. Things become more complex. Everyone starts going different directions and doing their own thing. And then they want to just say that the big thing that many pastors will hate hearing is I'm not getting fed. Well, my job is not to feed you, maybe a little bit on Sundays, but we feed ourselves, right? We're not babies anymore. And so that happens when we're not all going the same direction. And it's natural. Sometimes we got to take the blame for that because we're just all over the place as well. Um. So we're going to be working on that this year, and our kids' ministry is a bit, and youth is a big part of that, um, is really what we believe is important. I, I even thought it would have been funny if this had just happened, because so Charles, our new kids' pastor, 
if this would have just happened and I didn't know what was going on, I didn't necessarily know, need to know what's going on, but I know the strategy we use. I know what's happening, you know, in general. And so when, if you walk down the hallway or you dropped off your, your kids today in their nursery age, what did you notice? That there was a gigantic hole in the wall. <laughs> right? There's a hole. The nursery's not in the same place up front. We thought it'd be way better if you guys dropped your babies off right here. It's all toasty, warm, and bigger. And then today, you just said, there's a, what do I, toss my baby through the window now or something? What do I do? What is this newfangled thing? Well, it's not done yet. It's in process of being done. But if Charles would have just done it and said, I just, Charles, what are you doing? There's a big hole in the, in the wall in there. Well, I just wanted a window then. Told Brent's dad to just cut a big hole. Well, there's a purpose and a reason so that you can see your kids experience. There's a whole strategy and purpose behind it. But a lot of times, when we start getting out of alignment, right, in many areas, then we start doing our own thing. And it doesn't fit into what everybody else is doing. Now, I struggle with this. It's a big issue for me to constantly get back on track, back on track. Church-wise, life-wise, this can play out in many ways. If that happens and we're not careful, then we just become a building, not a community on mission. We lack compassion for people because we care more about other things. And uh, damage can really get done, you know. But when a church is in alignment, and I'll take you through Scripture in just a moment here, real quickly, to kind of set a foundation for us for the next two weeks. But when a church is in alignment, when it's moving the same direction and on focus, you could, again, put this in many other life. Um, one, um, and well, you can look at all these things. We have a common purpose. So we begin to have these things in common, a common purpose. It's when we're on the same page, in sync with God and one another. It does not mean that we necessarily agree on everything, Right? But it does mean, this phrase has gone around in church world forever, um, and it's, it, it says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. So we want to agree, have a common purpose, where we're going, we'll talk about that in a minute, um, and we, we want to agree on that, but it's broad and big enough to also give us some freedom and liberty in things that aren't essentials. But in all things, whether we agree or not, we need to operate in love, right? And so we have a common purpose. Then we have a common, we'll talk about these other things in the next two weeks, common process, which is a strategy, which says this. A strategy is a plan of action with an end in mind. That's why we want to start thinking more and more at Journey about steps, not programs. We're not just trying to create more programs. For kids, youth, young adults, young families, old people, older people, ancient people. <laughs> you determine the category. I'm not looking at you, Dave, okay? <laughs> right? This doesn't, it's not just kids. It's one of the things that I'm really wanting to, just to lay it out to you what I'm thinking, what we're not good at and haven't been for years is how are we discipling people? What's the next step you need to do? You, follow, you become a Christian. I surrender my life to Jesus. I receive what he's done for me. I give my life to him. I get baptized, and then I just don't do anything ever again. <laughs> I'm in. That's not the life that we're called to. Much more than that. So we want to we wanna be in alignment with common purpose, a common process, the strategy. That's why we start going steps, maybe not programs, right? Even though programs can be a part of something. Um, that also helps us when we have that process. It's easier to say no. How many times, so I'm raising my hand. How many of you have a hard time saying no to things? Okay. And the rest lie, right? Okay, so I don't, right, no. Now, this could play out in many things, all right? So... But one of the things, if we have a common purpose process, the language, the experience, it's easier to say no. Because, and what, what challenges us is, what if I say no to your ministry? Well, what happens for me is I take it personally and go, you don't like me or God's not good enough or I'm not, whatever. But what if we were all in sync enough that when we say no, it's because we have the bigger plan in mind? 
right? Sometimes, and I'm not good at this, we need to say no to something, not because it's not a good idea, but just because it doesn't fulfill or fit into the purpose and process and experience we want to have, right? We will say no to some ministries here. I'll usually say no when you come and say, Ron, here's something I think you should do for ministry, okay, just to tell you. Because my response would be, well, why don't you do it? Well, I'm not good enough. I don't know the Bible. Good. Okay, that's enough. Okay, that's not, no. So now I eliminated some of you that won't do that now. Good. All right. <laughs> why don't you do it? Sometimes we'll say no, too, because it's going to take away. We feel God is impressing us to do that's better, at least for now. So, for example, small groups. It's not something we do on the side. It's going to take years, our lifetime. I'm going to be, you know, dead and gone before it ever comes together probably. But it's worth it. The ups and downs, the struggles, the good, the bad, the ugly. It is worth it. I got a long way to go and it's not my experience. But they're good and right. They're not a thing we do on the side. It's part of the pillar of who we are. Get together in community. Even if you're bad at it. It's going to freak most of us out. We have a common language. We'll get to that later in the series of core truths and values that we hold to, a common experience that we want to give everybody so that we're all enthusiastic and engaged and our results compound. We leverage kind of what God is doing, and so we have these common, this common purpose, process, language, and experience that we want to give. So here is a big question that I want you to ask as we talk about some scripture and then wrap it up. This is foundational for you as a person, as a follower of Christ. Maybe if you lead ministry, whatever. This is what we're asking. We've already kind of answered it with our kids. We're going to share that in our youth. We just want to get more at it, more involvement, more engagement from the community to be involved. But we need to answer this question, what matters most? So we keep the end in mind when we ask this. What matters most? In our walk with Christ, maybe you can ask it in life, what matters most? What's the most important thing for you? How about the church? How about when we break it down, our, our specific you know, areas of ministry and influence? What matters most? This could happen in job. This could happen in maybe, maybe in relationships in some way, but a lot of times, yeah, job and, and church here, especially where we're talking about it. And one of the things that we'll say and we'll see is what really matters most is a love relationship with God and others. It really is. I know that means there's a lot behind that. But really, what matters most is a love relationship with God. We want to help, if we put it specifically to kids, but all of you, we want to help you, our kids, our youth, grow up to have an authentic and lasting relationship with Jesus. And so with the end in mind, we now strategize to figure out with common process and purpose and language and experiences how we can help that happen. That's what I want for myself, for all of us here, and, and uh, for our kids and youth. When we do that, um, when we do that, I think that we can look at the Bible, I really believe, that we can look at the Bible and what God says differently. Because I go, at least we should consider it. Um, the end in mind, do, and do you believe this about God? That his desire is to have a love relationship with you. Now you might want to define love and relationship, of course, but he wants to have a love relationship with you. And he says in his word in many places about with others as well, right? If that's true, then when I look at God's word, and I look at the guidelines, the rules, the law, what he says, what I understand, what I don't understand, what I like and don't like. When I look at all this, I look at it differently because I understand that those things are there, even though I don't get it all the time, for a reason, for a purpose, common, common thing. Out the theme of scripture, the story of God, there are common things, and they're there for my good, for me to understand put in context, look at culture, background, and try to understand how it applies to my life. Why then 
would I look at it as, I got to keep all the rules or I'm going to hell. Now, that's what a lot of people think by the way they live. But what if I looked at it and said, the end result is God's desire to have a love relationship with me. And think about this, not just in the future, not just when you get to heaven, whenever you think that's going to happen. He wants to have a love relationship with you now, today, in January 2018. And he wants to spend eternity with you. If that's true, why not look at the Bible and go, those things are there because he's getting me to this place. He's guiding me. He's getting me back in alignment with him because he loves me. Lots of people don't look at him that way. Punish, I'm not good at I mean, go down the list. of Many of you think those things and live that way. But we believe that God says, I love you. I forgive you of your sin. Here's what I've done. Here's who I am. Here's how I feel about you. My end goal is this, a love relationship with you. Okay, Genesis chapter 1. You don't have to go to all these scriptures. A few I'm going to have up on the screen. I'm going to walk through it real quick, give you some thoughts, and ask you that question again. Okay? It's foundational for us for the next few weeks and really for the church. God starts out with Adam and Eve, right? Most of you know the story. If not, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man, Adam, and he said to Adam, you need a, a suitable partner. He creates Eve, right? There's a lot behind that. Creates all the animals, the fish, and creation. And his desire, his desire is to have a love relationship with his people from the beginning, right? And we can even add love relationship with one another and third would be to have the full abundant life that the book of John talks about that we talked about before. Think John 10, 10, full abundant life. And he says, I want you to enjoy me, God says. I want you to enjoy one another, Adam and Eve. And I want you to enjoy, third would be, have the full abundant life, enjoy creation. Awesome. I've been thrilled to watch Charles, the Allen family, our new kids pastor, enjoy Oregon. They came from flat, nothing, Dallas, Texas. They came to the Four Seasons, Southern Oregon. And they're posting stuff about the stuff that some of us are like, I'm not driving to Union Creek. It's too cold up there and wet. And they're like thinking it's the greatest thing that they ever experienced in their entire life. Snow? What is this miracle of God? <laughs> to watch them enjoy that beauty is awesome. And many of you do too. It's not that, but there, it's a, something new and fresh. It's really encouraging to me. God said, love relationship, Adam and Eve, in many ways. But the devil comes in, the enemy comes in and gets them, you know, out of alignment. Questions God. God, did he say that? God, does he really look like that? God, does he really believe that about you? Is that really true? And then they blow it. And they are out of alignment with God. Now God, through his beauty, grace, discipline, spends the entire Bible showing us how to get back in alignment. So scriptures, instructions, he's, he's relentless, <laughs> ruthless. And he spends the entire Bible telling us how to get back, where to run to, how much he loves us, and he does it in creative ways, and he walks us through that life. We can see, before we move on to a couple other things, though, the power of something common but used for the wrong reasons. All right? In Genesis 11, we find in verse 1 these words. And that says, now the whole world, so this is still towards the beginning of creation. The world's still somewhat new. Now the whole world but men and women have been born. There's, you know, a large crowd. And it says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. They all talked the same, lived the same, got it the same. We go down to, I think, verse 4 here. And it says this. It says, then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. So now, instead of a love relationship with God, this is all about self-motivation. Common the power of having something in common, being in alignment, but used for the wrong reasons. Can that happen? <laughs> yes, it can. 
Look at history, right? Come, let's build a great city, build a tower, reach us to the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. It'll make us famous. Wrong reasons again, but a great thing. And then it goes on to say this. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. He said, look, the people are united and they all speak the same language. They have this in common. Purpose, language, process, all of it. The way they strategize to build this tower, all of these things. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. What does God do in the story? He confuses their language, scatters them, right? A great thing, wrong reasons. Right idea, wrong purpose. One, man, it should be used for God's glory and honor. And so God spends the rest of his word trying to get us back to one language, one process, one strategy, all this, right? He talks about oneness. But for the wrong reasons, it's dangerous. But we see the power in it. Man, if they keep doing this, nothing will be impossible. Could you imagine if we, as the church, the community of God, journey, yes, but us part of a global, man, kingdom for God's glory, not our own. We're in sync with one another. What are the possibilities of life transformation because of the power of God working in us and through us. That's awesome to think about. And we're, we have moments, but then we divide, and we find that we start building our own kingdoms. So if that happens, I now have to get you to do what I want you to do. We have to tar- tar- take, start taking care of something differently, our building and So this commonality has great power. Moses then comes along and the people are freed from captivity. After all this, they go into captivity. All this turns ugly. They're not in alignment. They're all speaking a different language now and they just spread out. And uh, there's a lot behind that as well. But they're then put into slavery and bondage. That's going to happen at some point when when alignment, focus, and, and being in sync fall apart. We go into bondage in various ways. Well, God, through his power and grace and love, he frees them. He gets them out of Egypt, and the people of Israel go into the desert, which it's supposed to be just a, a, a few-hour you know, drive on camels from Egypt to Israel, but uh, it takes them 40 years. It takes Moses as the leader and God... 40 years to get the people back in alignment with him. And that even is a struggle, right? Because now thousands of years later, here we are. And Moses sets the stage, and it'll be the scripture we come back to over the next two weeks in Orange. And he says in Genesis 11, 4 through 6, is they're establishing in those 40 years community and alignment. He brings these few scriptures in Genesis 11, 4 through six, he says these words. Then they said, that's not right. That's the tower one. But Genesis 11, four through six, that's, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> it's not Genesis 11, sorry, it's Deuteronomy. <laughs> that's why you were right, I was wrong. Deuteronomy six, four through nine. See, when we're out of sync, they're doing it perfect. This pastor that's out of sync, man. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Moses is uh, uh, setting the stage. This is how we're going to operate. This is our common purpose, okay? And we'll get into some of the rest of the scripture in a little bit over the coming weeks. But he says, listen, O Israel. Hey, community. We got to get in alignment with God. Here's what I want you to know. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, and all your strength. And then he continues on and says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. And he even gives them a strategy behind it. Four families. We'll talk about this. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, 
when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. He takes it even further. He says, tie them to your hands, wear them on your forehead as reminders, write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. So here's our purpose. Love the, the one who God is to love him with everything you got. And then here's the strategy we're going to use to remember that because we forget all the time. It takes them 40 years in the desert, which should have just taken days. It took them 40 years to get back in alignment with God. Now, Jesus comes back to this, all right? So we see this throughout Scripture because in between now Moses and Jesus, many things go up and down with the people getting back in an alignment, falling out, in sync with God, out of it. Jesus comes along in the Gospels and... Uh, in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, he notices something. It's the scripture that started Journey Off six plus years ago. Jesus traveled, there's that journey part, through all the towns and villages of that area. And he's teaching in their synagogues. He's he hitting all areas of their life. Head, heart, hands. He's teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news or preaching about the kingdom physically touching people, healing every kind of disease and illness. Then he does this. It says he looks out and he sees the crowd and he has compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He looks out and he says, listen, these people are out of alignment with God. They were, they weren't. They were, they weren't. And then we get to this point when Jesus shows up on earth God in human form and flesh. And he says, I'm going to get them in alignment in a new way. I'm going to be with them, dwell with them. And he's very compassionate for them because he sees they're not in sync with who God is, how God feels about them, and their purpose in living. And so he says to his disciples, this is so important. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Think about that when we challenge you to help with our kids or youth or get involved in small groups or anything else. The harvest is great. Workers few. So we pray, Lord, you're in charge of the harvest. We ask that you send more workers into the field. This is a great context, too, if you want to help out with our kids, our youth, or in the church in some form, or listen, there's also a great harvest out in our community that needs you. Needs us to have purpose commonality. We go out there and share the gospel to them. So Jesus sees this. It concerns him. And others are recognizing this. For we come to Matthew 22 and we see that Jesus reflects back on what Moses said. So I noticed this in Matthew 22 that, listen, this hasn't changed. The purpose of Jesus is the same. Someone comes to him, the religious, who have been completely out, out of sync with God. They are not in the line with who he is, what he's about. He says this, Jesus, when this guy comes and he says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? This is hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. It's way, way before. Nothing's changed. And he says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says to him, love you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is our common purpose. You've gotten sidetracked by religion, off course, you're out of alignment, and it's veered you the wrong way. Let me bring you back. What's the most important? He says, you love God. Love him with everything you got. All right? And then he says this. The second was equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love other people. This is our grand purpose. That is our end in mind. That is why we will do what we do to get to a place where people, through steps, not just good programs or curriculum, but through steps over a long period of time, we want you to get to a place where you love God with all your soul, all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And in turn, secondly, from that, you'll love others. 
the entire law, he says. Not the 600 plus extras that the religious leaders came up with. Don't, don't look. Sometimes we as a church, as Christians, can be so picky about law and how strong we're going to hold to it and how we're going to confront. And I think there's great things in that. But may it never get greater than, more important than what God told us to do. For he says, Jesus, repeats what the Father said in the beginning, what he desired at creation. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God with everything you got and love others. What if we did that? What if we did that? Would it change anything? So Jesus, Jesus says these grand words. And he, he then, because the disciples like us often get out of sync, get out of alignment. Do you ever find yourself, even when you know the right thing to do? Paul said that, didn't he? Why do I do what I do? I mean, it's one of those tongue twisters. I don't even do it right every time. I, I don't do what I do, but I don't do it, and then I do it, and then I don't do it again, and then I did it, and then I don't do it, and then I want to do it, but I don't. You know that whole thing? That's scripture, okay? It's like my paraphrased version that confuses everybody. We do that. Peter's a grand example, right? I love you, but you're not going to die for my sin. And then Jesus confronts him. He's constantly bringing him back in alignment, his disciples. The disciples uh, had to deal with that when he left. Jesus dies on the cross, rose from the grave. They get, they get excited because he's there. They get super bummed out, discouraged because he dies. They get even more excited because he's risen from the grave. Then they go way down again because he takes off in the air and says, I'll see you later. I'm leaving the Holy Spirit and power of God for you. You got this. And they're like, what? You know, we don't got this, man. They're in confusion a little bit. They're out of sync. They're not in alignment with God. They even wonder about the kingdom. Hey, when's the kingdom coming? We want it to be now. All the stuff they're going through in Acts chapter 1. One of the things that God says to them in Acts 1, in verse 4, he tells them this. He says, listen, right before he leaves, Jesus, some of his last words are, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, the Holy Spirit, power from on high, um, as I told you before. And then what he does, he tells them to wait, right? And he puts them all in a room together. And he says, don't leave until this happens. I like that. Sometimes um, that alignment needs to get back in sync there, and you just got to be shoved into situations where it forces you to relook at things or see things from a different perspective or get what's needed from God before you go any further. Maybe you've dealt with that before. Again, that's where counselors and therapists and do doctors, different people do that, right? When my doctor gets me, Dr. Charles, in the room, it's not because he just goes, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm good, man. Okay, see you later. No, he's done tests. He's done all these things. And in, in some cases, he's like, I need to confront you on something, Ron. You know, you need to stop eating that. So now I have a choice to do it or not, but he, I got to get in the room with him, right? And so we see that Jesus has them do that to get them back in alignment. Well, Real quickly, and then I'm going to, in just a moment, have the worship team come. One of the ways that we are going to do this with our kids, I just wanted to briefly tell you about Orange a little bit, and then I want to wrap up with a, one more scripture, and we'll pray, take communion together. Um, one of the things that we're trying to do is with our kids, back in the room, re-looking at our strategy that we've been doing for a period of time, and redoing some things that either haven't been done, need to be done, or the direction we want to keep pushing forward. And that's with our strategy called orange. Remember the light of the church, yellow, with the red, the heart of the family, combining those together to create orange with more uh, influence and engagement, giving them experiences, our kids and youth, and us for that matter. Uh, so this end in mind for your kids, for our youth, is to help them grow up, as I told you earlier, to have an authentic and lasting relationship with Jesus. To love God, love life, love others. That's why we think orange, combining the family and the church together to create this opportunity. 
It's our overreaching strategy um, that takes kids from birth through high school. Now, in that, we also believe, we'll talk about this probably next week, that everybody goes through phases. In fact, we could go birth to death, right? All of us have phases we go through in life that are very specific to that phase, right? Elementary school, birth, growth, elementary school, you know, middle school, high school, college, young families, right? And then all, you know, from whatever that young family is, 20 to, you know, I don't know what you consider yourself, 50s? Well, I guess that's not true, huh? Okay, 40s, maybe, I don't know, 30s? All right. We all want to be in that category young, right? So, but there's phases we go through as adults, too. Like, I've even noticed more, like, with my mom and dad and then with me, kind of where I'm at. I want to be in my 30s. I talk to some of you 30-year-old people, and I think we're the same age. <laughs> but we're not, Right? But we have phases of life, and so we want to we have the strategy that's in place to encompass different phases, so we want to reach them with very specific things. That's our process and our strategy, and we want together to tell God's story, connect kids to a leader who believes in their potential, change how they see the world in their future. We want them to experience something that they will never forget in our kids' church, and most of all, we want them to love God, and love other people. So we want to have every kid and student, we want to give them a place to belong and someone who believes in them. Could you imagine your kids, your students, but even more you, your neighbor, your coworker? Can you imagine if they saw God for who he is? What would that be like? What if they could see themselves the way that God does? What if they would love others the way that he does? Would that make an impact on our community? The Rogue Valley, the school where you teach or where the kids go, your job, the coffee shop. Can you imagine what will happen when we do this? Acts 2.42, worship team can come. Acts 2.42 says, this is it. So Jesus has been doing all these things from the beginning of time till the end. God's trying to get us back in alignment and sync with him. And here's a moment when they seem to get it. Before the church turns into what it ends up turning into, all the believers devoted themselves, Acts 2, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing, including the Lord's Supper, communion that we're going to do. We do it every week if you're new here. And a prayer. Very important things, right? There's even a little bit of strategy in that purpose. A deep sense of awe came over them all. When we live like that, love like that, experience that, there's this deep sense of awe and worship that comes over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs. God was working, God's movement and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. And it says they shared everything they had. One translation will say they had things in common. So they gave it. It's, it's, it comes together. They're in sync. They shared everything they had. They sold. This is where it starts getting crazy. This is where I don't like it. They sold property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Something takes over when we believe what God has said and desired from day one. Love relationship with him, authentic, real, and others. Something happens where compassion is not stolen, veered away. Compassion is we're filled more. We talked about it before in gratitude. Man, I'm so grateful what God has done. I want to give that out. That's what would cause me to give, sell, right? That's, but apart from that, when it's about us, we don't want to do that. Of course, it's natural. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They didn't have to beg people to, to get to church, offer free pizza, you know, or Dutch bro cards if you'd come back again, or, you know, I don't. It's good things. But it says they just wanted to worship together. Give great honor to a great God. And then it says they met in homes, small groups. They thought that was important. They shared meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And guess what? 
They didn't have to do church growth programs. They didn't need it. Because of that, it says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship to those who were being saved. So then the question is, you can stand with me, what matters most? It's foundational for the rest, but I think one of the questions you should ask yourself this week, not, not necessarily starting off as a family or as a church or a business or whatever, that, that could come too, but I think it really needs to start with you. What matters most to you? What matters most to you? And what we're saying here is an authentic, lasting relationship with God matters most. Hey, Jesus prayed for this stuff in John 17. When we take communion today, I know this is true. You got to ask that question. Jesus answered it 2,000 years ago. There's a part of me that I don't believe it. But I receive it because if Jesus, if you asked him, what matters most to you, put your name in there. You know what matters most to me? Ron. And I know that's true. That's why we celebrate communion. What matters most to you? Jesus, you do. I didn't go to the cross so that you could have a good building, more money, more stuff. I went to the cross for you. So when we take communion, we say, Jesus, thank you for that piece of bread. I mattered to you. So you gave for me so that I could be free of sin and live in relationship that he desired, and love others because of his gratitude for that, and enjoy life, eternity, yes, but right now. That's what his word teaches us. Thank you. A price had to be paid. I am incapable, imperfect. But you, Jesus, I remember through this juice, you paid that price. I didn't have to. Wow. Because you had the end in mind. And what matters to you is me. So when you take communion today, thank him for that. And then ask yourself, what matters most to you? Maybe it's the day where you decide, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. You can do that. Let us know. We'd love to journey with you because now we've got to take some steps in discipling you and walking with you and loving you and helping you sometimes get back in sync with God or in alignment with Him. So Father, today we wrap up and sing in just a moment, take communion and pray together and say thank you, Father, because we matter to you. So thank you for what you have done for us, the way you love us, Touch the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.